Welcome to the Online Course Masters Show, where we learn from the best online course creators how to better create and sell our very own courses. I'm your host, Phil Ebner, and in this episode, I chat with Jason Dion, who teaches cybersecurity on Udemy, and he's made over $13,000 in his first year, and we chat about how you can also ramp up your monthly revenue. Plus a few great tips for how you can protect yourself as an online course creator. Visit onlinecoursemasters.com for show notes to watch the video version of this episode and see an archive of all our past guests. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please, if you haven't done so already, leave a review for this show wherever you listen to it. Now, let's get straight to the interview. Hey everyone, Phil Ebner here with Online Course Master Show. And today I'm super excited to have Jason on the show because he started on Udemy less than a year ago and he's having massive success. He's made over $13,000. As of the time we're recording, he just passed 10,000 students. And he's here to talk about why it's still a great time to teach online courses and get on Udemy specifically. So welcome to the show, Jason. Oh, thank you, Phil. So let's start out with why do you think it's still a good time to start teaching online courses? Because a lot of people think it's too late. Yeah, I, I heard that as well. Uh, when I started going on Udemy, uh, I got into the the Studio U, it's what they call it now, it used to be the Udemy Studio. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are doom and gloom and they say that you can't make a go of it, you can't make any money out of, out of it. Uh, at $10 a course, it's the end of online learning, all of those type of things. And I threw up my uh, first course there just to test the market and see how it went. And the first month, it didn't go stellar. Uh, we made, I think, $58, uh, pretty similar to your story. Um, and the next month, it went up to $275. And the next month, it went up to $500. And, and by month two, we added a second course. And we started seeing that there was potential if you put out good quality courses in a niche that people want. Um, I happen to be in the cybersecurity and IT certification world, so I am one of those tech courses, which uh, I know a lot of people think that's that's where you can go to make a lot of money, uh, and we've been very lucky with it, but there's also a lot of courses in the tech world that aren't doing well. Um, we seem to have been doing pretty well because we try to put out a good quality product, and we don't build it to be a $10 product. We build it to be you know, 100 or 200 or $300 product, but we happen to sell it for $10 on Udemy. Um, so I think that any business, there's never a good time or a bad time to go into a business or, or to go into online teaching or anything like that. It's just about what kind of product you're going to present to the world. And if you present good quality products, customers will come. And in our case, customers are students. Yeah, that's, that's totally awesome. And I can't wait to hear more about the, your experience with the first course and, you know, even making $58, that might be a lot for a lot of people, but let's back up a little bit and just tell a little bit more about your background, um, you know, what your career path has been so far and why you even decided to try teaching your own online course. Sure. Uh, so I uh, work for the U.S. government during the day and I work in the cybersecurity field. Um, I'm also really interested in teaching. And for about three years, I've been teaching at my local community college, as well as for two uh, colleges and universities, uh, both online and in class. Uh, the online classes I teach are more the traditional online classes where it's discussion boards and online labs and those type of things, not necessarily video teaching. Um, 
one of the issues I had was when I switched from one job I was in to another job, I started traveling a lot more. And so I couldn't get to do uh, in-person teaching anymore with my community college students. And I really missed that teaching aspect. So uh, the last class that I did at the community college, I actually recorded it and I filmed it with my blue snowball microphone and uh, a capture of my PowerPoint slides. And it was just voice over PowerPoint. And that was my Network Plus course. Um, I actually didn't put it on Udemy at first. I put it on YouTube and it sat there for about a year uh, making, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 dollars of ad revenue, pretty much nothing. Uh, and one of my friends at work is like, hey, you know, there's this thing called Udemy. Have you ever thought of it? And I had never even heard of it at that time. Uh, so I went and checked out. I was like on, on the uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I had a, a long weekend and I took those videos from YouTube and I put them up into a Udemy course. I added some quizzes, added some exams. And that was our first course that we launched. All right. So before you, you said you didn't even hear, you hadn't even heard about Udemy before. So when you were researching Udemy, were you considering putting this course on your own platform? I mean, at this point, there already were other platforms to create your own site or like places like Skillshare or, or Udemy. So did you just think, oh, Udemy is the best and we'll try that? Or were you thinking about any other platforms at that time? Actually, at that time, it was the buddy at work who said, hey, I've taken courses on Udemy and I think this would work. So why don't you try it? So I on a weekend, I, you know, just as a whim, I put it up there, add the descriptions and tried it out. Uh, and then we saw, hey, we made $58 with this course that was voice over PowerPoint. And if we made a real course, uh, we thought, hey, we could do a lot better. Uh, so we started creating another course uh, called The Anatomy of a Cyber Attack, where we kind of built our way through um, how an attacker gets into your network and all the technical sides of it. And we turned it into about a four hour course. Uh, it was, you know, green screened and, and lab screen captures and things like that. And we think it, was, it came out to be a pretty good course. Now, looking back at it, it's definitely not as good as our, our recent courses as far as from a technical perspective. But at the time, we thought that was awesome. And uh, we started making about two to three hundred dollars a month off that course. And so it kind of really motivated us to, hey, let's let's try again and, and go bigger and bigger. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think like I look back on all my courses, even like courses from a year ago I think oh man like so embarrassing I need to redo that course and I mean the ones that I first created like five years ago I have deleted a lot of those because I'm <laughs> I, I don't think they're good enough anymore I'm curious though so you made $58 that first month was that just purely organic traffic or did you have any audience or anything that you did to actually launch that first course yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, pretty much most of our sales have been Udemy Organic or their affiliates. Um, it, I had no real audience of my own. At that time, my YouTube channel had, I think, about 1,000 people on it. Uh, I think right now we have about 21, 2200 subs, so still not a whole lot on, U on, uh, excuse me, on uh, YouTube. Uh, and so I, I put it up there and just let it go and see what happened. And the only thing that we did really to try to help quote, launch it, uh, was I had uh, taken a, a course on Udemy from uh, Dennis Smith, and he had recommended putting some free coupons out there to start building reviews and social proof. So we had put out, I think, 500 free coupons on one of the sites like Black Hat Forums or something like that. Uh, and that started getting the, the reviews, and the reviews were positive, and then we started getting organic traffic. Um, for our second course, I did have a little bit of more of a following at that point where we sent out an email to about 100 people. Uh, but again, we didn't really sell a lot to our own email list. Uh, it was really Udemy Organic has been the biggest thing for us. And as we've added, you know, the third course and the fourth course, we're able to advertise through promotional emails to our previous students. And since they like the other courses, they go and follow us to the next course. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of the name of the game with Udemy. And that's how I've had successes, just 
you know, creating more courses. And as you get more students, your promotional emails are more powerful. And it's, I wouldn't say it's an unfair advantage, but it's an advantage if you've been on the platform for a longer time or you have multiple courses that you have that sort of extra power. I'm also curious with your first and your second course, because now it looks like you have uh, eight courses on Udemy. We do. <laughs> what, um, and that's awesome. Like in less than a year, I don't think a lot of people are able to do that. Are your first two courses still selling or like what are your best selling courses at this point? Yeah, so our third course is actually our best-selling course. Uh, the first two courses still do sell and make about $200 to $400 a month pretty routinely at this point. Um, the third course we had is uh, what's called ITIL, or Information Technology Infrastructure Framework. Uh, and it's an IT certification for people in the service management industry. Um, and that was actually a course that when I finished recording that course, I said, I will never do this again. Uh, <laughs> because back then, we didn't have Udemy Insights. And so Udemy put out that list once a month of here's the hot topics. And that was one that was on the hot topics list. I was certified in it. So I was like, well, if Udemy says it's a hot topic, why don't I try it? And um, it was quite painful to actually record that course because it, it tends to be a dry topic, to be quite honest. Um, I try to make it as fun as possible, but it's a lot of definitions, a lot of processes and things like that. And so it's not something that is necessarily my favorite or the thing that I love. Uh, I really love cybersecurity and that's more service management. Uh, so when I was done with this course, I'm like, I'm never going to do this again. And then all of a sudden the sales started rolling in and it was really extremely popular with students. The first month we had that course out, we've made like $1,000 on that course because there's only about 10 courses in for ITIL, but it was a very popular niche topic that was needed apparently. Um, it's not as popular here in the United States. It's actually really popular overseas. So a lot of Indian students, a lot of British students take that course. Um, but that was the one that was the bestseller and is still our bestseller at this point. Uh, so you, you can see now that we have three uh, courses on that topic uh, because that's what students liked. And, uh, you know, I'm knowledgeable on it and I could teach it. Teach it. Um, the newest one that we just released was uh, our, our crammed to pass version of that where we took the eight hours of content for that certification course and brought it down to basically what you need to know to pass the exam in three hours. And that's been selling pretty well uh, as well. Nice. And so that's, is that that practice certification exam class? Yeah. So for the ITIL, oh, yeah, we you have got the cram uh, to pass. I see that one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then we also have taken advantage of a Udemy release last month, the new practice exam format. Mm-hmm. So two of our courses are that, which is no videos at all. It's just practice exams for certifications. Uh, and for our field, that works really, really well. And so those have been selling pretty well as, uh, in addition. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's something I, I haven't really talked to anybody on the podcast about. But if you are in a field where there is a certification, that kind of test could be very helpful. I mean, I think back to high school and studying for the SAT and everything, you yep. know, those kinds of practice tests are very helpful. For that kind of thing, how um, were you even coming up with the questions for that kind of test. And I know like there's for any kind of certification or degree or any program like that, they they have a lot of traditional online education programs that are really expensive. So it seems like something like on Udemy, if you could get these questions for $10 during a deal that it could be really popular. But yeah, like how, how are you coming up with questions for the that test? Yeah, so all of our courses, because they've been certification-based, we did use the quiz features. So we already had to make up questions, and it's based off of you know my knowledge and having taken these certifications before. We're very familiar with the way that they word these tests because certification exams are written differently than normal tests you would take in a college class. Yeah. Um, so we, we've come up with a lot of the questions that way. Uh, we've also looked at you know 
uh, previous exams, other textbooks, and, and taken those type of formats and then molded them into those courses. Uh, I think the thing that makes our practice exams different is that Udemy gives us the ability that once the student answers the question, they can go back and review it and there's an explanation. So we can put in a couple of sentences of why that's the right answer and why that you know, why A, B, and C isn't the right answer, but D is. And that's really, I think, where the value comes in those practice exams, as opposed to just knowing that D is the right answer, but knowing why D is the right answer. Yeah, um, so totally. for those who are going to do practice exams, I highly recommend explaining why the answers are the answers, because that's where your students get the value. And it seems like a great way, a great upsell for your other classes. I mean, oh, some <laughs> people might think like to put all of it in one, but if you're, you have your main course and then you say, oh, here's my extra practice test course that seems like the perfect upsell to all your students yeah so one of the things is the way that they've done the practice exams at udemy is uh in your course you're allowed to put two practice exams in your video course if you make a practice exam only course you're allowed to put six practice exams so all of my courses i have the practice exams included with two of them for free with all the videos but there's some students who feel hey before i take this exam because certifications aren't cheap uh these exams might cost you two three four five hundred dollars to take a test so they'd rather get more practice. And so when I send out a promo, hey, for 10 bucks, you can get another six full practice exams. Most of the students tend to tend to go ahead and do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm just looking at your courses. They're getting such great reviews. I don't know what your average review score is, but it seems like most of your classes are five, four point five star. How uh, even your free courses doing doing well. What do you think it is about your courses that makes people want to give you that high review? Um, I, I think one of the things is we just try to aim for a really high quality course. So uh, I try to speak clearly uh, because I know when I'm a student, if I can't understand the instructor, that's really hard to learn. Um, almost all of our courses have been closed captioned at this point. We've taken our Udemy revenues that we've we've made and we've invested that back by using Rev.com and had all the courses transcribed. I think all of them are transcribed now, including our free one. Uh, so that helps a lot of our, our foreign students who may not be able to speak as quickly as I do. Uh, the biggest complaint I get in my reviews is I speak too fast, so I'm working on that. Um, <laughs> luckily, Udemy has a little 75% speed button, so people can slow me down. Um, and, and then it's not just voice over PowerPoint. So the way I do all my courses, you can see the big green screen right behind me. Um, <laughs> it's actually the green wall, not the green screen um, <laughs> in my little studio here. Uh, but what we ended up doing was uh, we have PowerPoint that is for the students to be able to have the text information they need. And then in the bottom corner, there's me standing, you know, floating in air, uh, telling them and they can see the expression on my face as I'm explaining things. And I think that comes across with students and they have that connection. Uh, the other thing that we do is I answer every review uh, and I answer every question in the Q&A, um, usually within 24 hours, usually no more than two days. Uh, so we are really interactive with our students uh, as much as we can be. Obviously, with a video on demand, there, there's not nearly as much interaction as in the classroom. Uh, but we really care to make sure our students are learning the material and give them all the things that we, we can help them with. Uh, and again, we don't really try to build it for a $10 course. We, I feel like we build premium courses. We're just not selling them at premium prices because I haven't quite figured out the marketing yet. Um, and that's why you know 95 to 98% of my courses are Udemy Organic Sales because they do a great job marketing. I'm not really a great marketer yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, yeah, you're building the great content. And I think the responding to reviews and responding to questions is so key. I saw a conversation in the Udemy studio or one of the groups about people complaining about how much time they spend responding to questions. And yes, it is a lot of time, especially as you grow and you have so many classes and students. But it, I think it is one of the ways that students 
have so much uh, you know benefit they leave better reviews and it i think it's an investment worth making at, at some point you you might even be able to you know outsource that kind of question because i know for me a lot of my questions that i get they're really repetitive so yep. it's nice to respond myself but i've actually outsourced that so i have a ta doing that um but people say like oh well people are only buying it for ten dollars like they don't deserve to have their questions responded to they just get my video content but if you really want to succeed on udemy i think you know you're doing it the right way so yeah and you know i I personally don't agree with the whole, you know, hey, they're only paying $10, right? And if it's an affiliate sale, you make, you know, $1.75 or $2.50, right? I, I get that. Um, I will say if you build a good course to start with, you'll get less questions as well. Um, with 10,000 students, I think I get maybe less than five questions a week. So it really doesn't take a lot of time to answer the questions uh, for the students. Um, and most of the time, the students, especially in our technical courses, they see the Q and A's and they'll go through those. And, and so if it's a question that's been answered before, I don't get a lot of repetitive questions. And so usually the first month I have a course out, I might get some questions of things I forgot, but I'll take those questions and add videos to answer them. Uh, so then I don't get that question again, or we'll answer it in the Q and A in depth so that we don't get that question a second time. Uh, and it helps the students learn better. Totally. I think that's something to keep in mind. And even for me, I, I should look at some of those questions I get all the time and really think, oh, wait, do I have that lesson like in my course? Is it in the right spot in the course? Yep. Uh, because a lot of the stuff I do cover in the course is just may not be in the right spot and they haven't gotten there yet. So I think that's good. So, wow. So you've made over, you said $14,000 right now? Uh, as of today, just over 13000 13000 yep. <laughs> 13000 and soon to be 14,000, I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and it's been less than a year. What do you think has been the key factor for just growing your revenue at such a quick pace? Um, I, I think the, the first thing that kind of set us off on a good trajectory was that third course because it was a hot topic for Udemy. So for new instructors, I would recommend going into the Insights tab. I am so thankful that Udemy now gives us the ability to look at the Insights tab because like I said before, they had a list of these are the 30 hot topics and they post it on Facebook once a month. Uh, now we can go in and look at the analytics ourselves, And so I can look at a topic and go, okay, let me say I want to be a Java programming guy. And if you go into Insights, you'll see that the, the top course is making $20,000 a month. Um, but it's a really high field and there's a ton of competition. So you're probably going to have a hard time there. Uh, when I looked at ITIL, the top course was making about 2000 a month. Um, and there was only 10 courses there. So it was, it was a good place to go. There was a low amount of courses and a high amount of search volume for students. Um, so using those insights tabs and those analytics really helps you narrow down to teach something that you know and, and can teach well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, like you said, when you get more courses, you have 40 or 50 courses now. Uh, when you send out an email, you're reaching, you know, 200, 300,000 people. Um, the chances are, even if you get 1% of those, you're going to get two or 3,000 sales. And so as you have more students, you're going to grow faster. Uh, the biggest thing for us is when we launch a new course, I send out a promotional email and I do. Uh, I, I do a code like, you know, launch $10 or something like that. Um, and all of my 10,000 students get it and maybe 1% will buy, but that's still a hundred students that'll buy the new course, which then gives me people who like me already getting reviews. Uh, and then you get a lot more organic traffic that way. So it, it, it is a little unfair, I guess, as some people say, because you already have a large base. Um, but I started with no base and we've only been on since December. So it's been nine months for us. Uh, and now we have 10,000 students. So now we've built that base, but it was because we built one course and then another course and another course and each one built on itself. 
Yeah, and they're related too. I, I would yeah. imagine that a lot of people are interested in in all of your courses. Do you? I'm thinking about like so you're lo- using the Insight tab to come up with new courses. Do you see like an end in sight in the courses that you can teach, or like what are the next courses you're you're coming up with for? Yeah, so um, there is a ton of courses that I could teach all in the computer realm. There's a, a ton of different stuff. Um, but for me, I am actually not trying to do 50, 60, 70 courses because it will just, you know, it'll be the, the job that ate the family, I guess. Um, there's only so many hours in the day and I do have a full-time job. Um, and I teach for three colleges, so I'm already really busy. Um, so I, I'm very careful in choosing the courses I want to teach. And the other problem is with certification courses, by the time you cover all the content somebody needs for the certification, it's an eight to 12 hour course. Um, so I've kind of laid out my roadmap of where I want to go next. There's two or three or four certifications that I want to add to my repertoire. And I'll probably keep it there where I have 15 or 20 courses at most um, because I'll have the certification plus the practice exam course. I, I think that will be good to start with until I retire from my full-time job, which I've got, you know, uh, probably we're looking somewhere in the 2022 range is when we're looking to retire out of my job. Probably going to do it for about four more years. And then I want to go full-time into online teaching. But uh, it, the whole plan when we started doing Udemy was a slow growth so that over the next four or five years when I got to where I wanted to retire, we would build up to four or five or $6,000 a month in revenue. Um, we've been doing it for nine months. This month, we already made $4,000. So we kind of hit it a lot faster than we thought. Um, now my wife's like, hey, time to slow down a little. <laughs> so that, that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. You know, you set, you kind of have these big goals, but also I, I feel like you're very similar to me. Like, you know, some people might say, oh, I want to quit my job in six months, but you're saying I'm going to have my full-time job for another four years or whatever that is, five years now. Yep. And <laughs> hopefully by then we'll, you know, be able to do this full-time. Uh, I th- But you're working really hard still. And I, I think you might be able to quit your job and quote unquote retire before then. But, but we'll see. I think a lot of students, um, you know, struggle, they're trying to start teaching online and that's their only source of income. It's always beneficial, I think, to have another source of income so you can, you know, not, you're not forced or pressured to just create courses for the sake of creating courses. Um, so well, that's, that's really exciting. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how quickly you get to, to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about your wife working with you. Um, are, is she helping out with the actual course creation or what any processes? Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you had a, a guest on your podcast a couple of weeks ago when I was listening talking about outsourcing. And uh, before I outsourced, I actually insourced. And my wife is a stay at home mom. Uh, she homeschools our kids. And so she had quite a few hours of, of free time a day. Uh, and she started when she started seeing after the second course, um, she started seeing that this was actually working and making some money. She goes, hey, maybe you could teach me how to do some of this and I can take some of that load off. Um, she doesn't do the course creation part as far as content writing, uh, outlines or any of that stuff. I do all the instructional stuff. Um, but the first thing she took over for me was video editing. Um, because as you know, an hour of video finished is three or four or five hours of editing. Um, and so by me being able to outsource that to her, I've now, we've got it down to a pretty good system where I can record it. I record my audio and my video separately. I throw all the files together with all the slides that she needs. She then goes and puts it all together and edits it. And I can drop an hour. I can come home after work, record an hour of video, go to work the next day and I come home and she's got an hour of video edited, ready and uploaded. Um, so that's really helped us out. 
um, as opposed to having to outsource that. She she's done that in house, and then uh, she gets a nice percentage for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that well, that's awesome. I think everyone wants a wife who can edit videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, she didn't know how to originally, but I taught her because again, it's not that hard to learn Premiere. Uh, you know, I I didn't know Premiere a year ago either, and I watched your course, and that's how I learned Premiere. And then I sat down with her for about an hour. I wrote down a very specific uh, operating procedure and said import the video this way, do the audio cleanup this way, take out the green screen this way, line this stuff up. And after walking through, I spent, you know, two or three hours teaching her. Now she can do it all on her own. It saves me hours and hours of time and creation. Yeah. Well, it sounds, <laughs> and it sounds like she's doing a good job, so you don't have to fire her right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little awkward if I had to fire my wife. <laughs> yeah, that might be bad. Uh, so in, you're, it sounds like you're super busy with your job. What, what does a typical week look like for you, and how long, how much time are you spending with courses and everything after your full-time job? Um, yeah, so you know, it, it is. It varies week to week. So generally, the longest time that it takes me to do something in the course creation process is actually developing my slide deck because I don't script my lessons, um, but I do build my powerpoints ahead of time because I'm used to in the classroom teaching by PowerPoint. Uh, so I'll build my PowerPoint with my bullet points, and that gives me the format for the lesson. Um, and so if I'm going to do a, for instance, the three-hour course, it was about 350 slides. Uh, so that takes a long time to create, and that three-hour course took me probably ten hours to build that slide deck. Um, and then the filming is really the short part because I've already created all I know what I'm going to say. Um, on an average week, I have an, a normal eight to five type of job. So fairly busy during the day. Uh, when I get home at night, um, I'll, I'll usually eat dinner with the family, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I'll, I'll usually spend about an hour a day either trying to build course materials, answering student questions, uh, trying to learn a little bit of marketing and do a little bit of marketing uh, and those type of things. Um, generally on the weekend is when I'll sit down and record. So on a Sunday afternoon, I'll just lock myself in my little studio here for two or three hours and just record it all in one shot or you know one day or two days. Um, and that's generally the way that we kind of work it. Um, and it seems to work out pretty well for us. I, I find that recording in batch like that uh, is very effective for me because it has a better flow and presentation to the students than if I record these three lessons, then those three lessons. And by the time you're done with 100 lessons, it seems very uh, choppy and jerky sometimes. Yeah, totally. And I feel the same. And when I do that, I end up repeating myself. Like I'll record one day <laughs> and then the next day I'm recording a different lecture and I repeat what I said the day before. So it is nice to kind of just batch process all of that in a Sunday afternoon. Um, you mentioned that you were doing a little bit of marketing and I know you, you got your YouTube channel, which, you know, 2000 subscribers, that's pretty awesome for the first year. I would say you've got your Facebook page and you've got your website. Uh, what is your strategy? I guess I'll ask, uh, with your content marketing right now. Yeah, so the, the big thing that I didn't do early on that everyone says you need to do is get an email list. Uh, I've always heard email is the best way to reach people. Uh, so that's something I've really been working on the last 30 to 60 days. Um, and so right now I'm using MailChimp, and I'm, I've got a couple of processes for people to sign up on my website. You can get a free ebook. Um, one of my courses I turned into a full-length uh, paperback and ebook on Amazon, and so I give away about half of that book as, as a free download if you give me your email address. Um, I have a Facebook group, and in that Facebook group, I have a link there that if you sign up, I'll give you a five days uh, of free content directly to your inbox, including the ebook, uh, about 30 minutes of one course, an hour of the other course of video, um, th those type of things. And I haven't seen any 
sales from that yet because really I just really got it put in place over the last 30 days. Um, but I have gotten quite a few email addresses now that I can then work on my marketing and, and market to a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I, I did try a little bit of, of Facebook ads, didn't have any success with that. Uh, I did the typical rookie mistake a couple of months ago when I first got on Udemy and uh, tried to do where I set up a Facebook ad and link it directly to your course landing page. Um, it didn't really pan out, didn't get a single sale. So that was kind of wasted money. Um, so I'm still learning and figuring that out. And I kind of got to the point where I'm like, well, maybe I'll just let Udemy do the marketing because they're good at it. <laughs> and I'll just focus on what I'm good at, which is building courses. And, and that's what I've been doing for a while now. And it seems to be working. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, you're good at content creation. And I think if you just keep putting out content, people are going to end up finding it. It's you know a topic that's hot right now on Udemy and I imagine just in general. So people are going to find your content. Now that you have like the system set up in place, I think that's the main thing people get stuck with or just never end up doing is you know just the simple ask process of creating an ebook or a good lead magnet that you can give away and making sure that it's on your website with an opt-in form and everything like that. So it seems like you're doing a good, good job there. It, are you putting your courses on any other platforms? I, th I think I saw on your website that you do have your courses there. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, I've looked at a couple of different platforms right now. I've been looking between Teachable and, and uh, uh, Thinker, uh, Thinkific. Uh, I can't say that right. Thinkific and Teachable and try to decide between those two. Um, I had looked at Skillshare, but I didn't think it was a very good fit for us because they're very craft-based or project-based, short-duration courses, and ours tend to be 8, 10, 12 hours long. Um, so I decided not to go that, that route. Um, we, I have been thinking about Thinkific or um, – or teachable. But the problem there is, again, I got to find a way to market and bring the students. So until I kind of figure that out, uh, right now, most of the links on my website, when I say, hey, buy my course, it just takes them back to my Udemy page. And I let Udemy do the processing and all of that. Um, so I haven't quite figured that out. I'm still working on that piece. Um, the only other one that, that we're working with right now is uh, I, I was picked up with Linda. So we're mm -hmm. working on a course um, for them that'll come out in 2018. Um, so that's kind of in the future. They, they saw our success on, on Udemy and, and, uh, I'd reached out to them and, and they liked my teaching style. So we're going to be doing a course with them again, one of those longer certification type courses. <laughs> nice. And I, I talked to someone else who did a Linda course and with that, what, so you reached out to them, they do it where this is a course unique for them. You can't use it yep. for yourself on Udemy, right? Yeah, exactly. So one of the funny things was when I reached out to them, they said, oh, we need an ITIL course. And I'm like, great, I've got an ITIL course. They go, oh, wait, we can't use that because you already have it over there. So we're actually doing a different topic for them um, that they had need for. And again, it was something that I, I could teach and, and actually cybersecurity type stuff that I really like uh, and I really enjoy. So, um, But yeah, the way they do things is definitely different than Udemy because when you do Linda, they own the content. You're just the author. You, you create the content. It's kind of like writing a book. You give it to the publisher and they do it. The nice thing with Linda is they record it all, they do all the post-production, they have a team of people that works with you, um, and their courses are stellar and high quality. Um, and then you get paid, I believe it's by the the amount of content consumed by their subscribers, so paid by the minute or, or some formula like that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's exciting. That I'll, I'll be interested to see how that goes, especially the revenue side, if, uh, you, if it's comparable to Udemy or if it's like a lot more or something like that, um, because it could be, you never know. So speaking of cybersecurity, since you're an expert in it, I want to ask you, what kinds of things should we as online course creators be aware of, weary of, for especially for our own sites, uh, for those of us building 
our own blogs using WordPress or using even like Teachable or Thinkific? Are there things we should be uh, doing to make sure we're protected? Yeah, the, uh, the number one thing that you can do to protect your site is when you go into your dashboard, especially I'll speak of WordPress because that's mm -hmm. one that most people are using, uh, you always see that little red number one or number two that your plugin isn't updated or your WordPress version isn't updated update it. Um, the reason they put out updates is not just to give you new features, it's to patch code errors that they have and that people can attack and hack your stuff with. Uh, so that's the biggest thing is always do your updates as soon as you can and always have good backups because if your site goes down, it really doesn't matter that your site goes down, it matters how quickly you can come back up. And if you have a good backup using something like Jetpack or, or um, AsciiNet, um, Ask, AsciiNet, sorry, um, you can come back up lot up online very quickly, switch it over to a different host if you need to, those type of things. Um, the other thing that, you know, that kind of touches in the cybersecurity realm that I hear a lot of people on the instructor studio talking about is piracy. Um, a lot of people are worried about their courses getting pirated. Um, I'll tell you, if somebody wants to pirate your course, they can pirate your course. Um, there's a lot of ways to do it, right? Uh, you give out a free coupon and now your course is everywhere. Uh, or they buy it for $10 and now your course is everywhere. You're not really going to be able to stop it, and as much as Udemy wants to stop it and help you, and they do have the people that you can report piracy to, it's not going to take it down. Once something's on the internet, it's out there forever. So the best thing I would tell you as a course creator is put your logo or your website on your videos, because if it goes out there, then guess what? At least they know you, and maybe they will buy something from you in the future. Um, HBO has seen this. Um, one of the most pirated things out there is Game of Thrones, right? Um, but there's not much they can do to stop the piracy, but they can make a lot of money off all of the merchandise that they do for people who like Game of Thrones. And so they're they're making money on the back end, even through the piracy that's out there. And HBO is trying to stop it. But again, there's only so much you can do to stop piracy. Um, so I think that's a, one of the big cybersecurity topics that really affects us as instructors. I, I've seen courses out there of mine that have been pirated. I've seen courses of other instructors. And it's going to happen. So, you know, don't fret about that. Just worry about the students you can help and the sales that you can make. Because yeah. those people probably weren't going to pay for your course anyway. Exactly. I feel like people are worried that they're losing revenue because of it. But the people that are downloading those would never buy your course on Udemy anyways. So yep. that's what I always say. Are there any specific WordPress plugins that you know of that are um, highly recommended for more like the security side of things? Uh, as far as WordPress, I can't think of any off the top of my head that I would uh, recommend. Um, I, I use WordPress for my site as well, and, and I try to minimize the number of plugins that I use. Um, most of the time, every plugin you add adds more code. More code mm -hmm. means more vulnerability. So I just try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, yeah. I, I, there's, there's a couple that are anti-spam ones, but nothing as far as from a security perspective that I could think of. Yeah, but so basically backing up your website, making sure we're updated are the main piece of it, advice. Cool. So I saw one of your courses, Wi-Fi hacking, which sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, and just curious about, you know, just what you're teaching in general with cyber attacks. And um, I know there's like this whole ethical hacking kind of idea. What, what are you teaching in this Wi-Fi hacking course? Yeah, so uh, this is you know a branch off of the ethical hacking and penetration testing. So one of the things that we do as cybersecurity experts is we try to break into networks. Um, and we if for instance, if you hired me to come take a look at your business, uh, I would come and do a wireless survey, see if there was any Wi-Fi networks. And if there are, that's the way I'm going to come in because it's usually the easiest path. Um, 
And so in that class, what we teach people how to do is scan for networks, find the uh, wireless networks, whether they're web encrypted, WPA encrypted, WPA2 encrypted, or set up with WPS, which are the four different methods. And we teach you how to break each of those four methods. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the funny thing is, it's not like any of this information is new. Uh, that, that's That's the other thing that I would say as a course creator is your information doesn't have to be brand new. You don't have to be original here. Um, pretty much what I'm teaching you in that course is how to use a tool called Aero Dump uh, as part of the Aeromon suite, um, which which is part of the Aircrack NG suite, excuse me. Um, that is a hacking tool that is freely and openly available. Anyone can get it. Anyone can use it. And you can learn everything I teach in that course by reading the manual. But again, most people don't want to read a manual. They'd rather be taught. And so we go through and we teach the theory behind the different types of networks. And then we teach how to break those networks. And obviously, there's a disclaimer of, please use this for ethical purposes only. Don't go hack Phil's house. That's not right. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say that when I get questions like that from students of, hey, I'm trying to break into my neighbor's network, I, I shut that down immediately because yeah. that's where you get into the illegal realm and you can get arrested. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, is it easy to do that? Like to yes. break into Wi-Fi? <laughs> yeah, I know you say you're not the most technically savvy guy, but it, you could go through that course and within two hours you'd be able to break in. Okay, um, yeah. I might sign up for ethical purposes only though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it's not real hard. You just have to have the right equipment and the right equipment costs about $35 on Amazon. Wow, so, that's kind of yeah. crazy. That is crazy. What about, okay, this is another, I don't know if you know anything about this, but I hear about, people like hacking into webcams and stuff. Is that like a easy thing to do? That's in my other course. Oh my <laughs> That's God. in the anatomy That's of a scary. cyber attack. So, um, yeah. So in the anatomy of a cyber attack, uh, and again, this goes back to why it's important to patch and update, um, in anatomy of a cyber attack, I show people how you can go through and hack a windows XP machine, a windows 2003 machine, a windows seven machine and a windows 2012 server. Um, and if there's a webcam attached to those, once we break in using a tool called Metasploit, uh, we can use a thing called the Meterpreter for, um, payload. And it's as easy as saying start webcam and I get a live stream off your webcam. And so. is, oh, that is <laughs> scary. So is it harder for Mac computers to be um, attacked like that? So it's not necessarily harder for Mac computers to be attacked because I'm a Mac user as well. Um, but there are uh, less vulnerabilities out there for them. Uh, again, if you don't do your patches and updates, you're just as vulnerable as a Windows machine. The reason that Windows gets such bad press about being hacked all the time is because there's so many of them. If you look at the market share, Linux is less than 1%. Mac is about 5 to 8% on any given day. Windows is 90 plus percent of the marketplace. So if you think about it, if I'm a guy writing a virus or trying to figure out how to break into a computer, I'm going after Windows because that's 9 out of 10 users. Um, most businesses are Windows. And so if I'm going to spend my time creating a virus or, or hacking, that's who I'm going to go after. And that's why you see it in the news so much that Windows is attacked. It's not necessarily that Windows is any less secure because Windows 10 is actually a pretty secure operating system. Um, it's just that Mac is a smaller target. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So should I be like putting tape on my webcam when I'm not <laughs> using it? <laughs> it sounds like you watched the Snowden movie, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I actually, for my webcam that I'm using right now, I use an external webcam. It's the, um, the, the Logitech 930, which is what I use for my recording. And it's got a little flip cover that you just flip down over the top of it. Um, I've seen people put post-it notes up, band-aids over it, stuff like that. Um, 
it's not a bad idea if you're worried about being seen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah, there's nothing the chances... that I'm hiding. It's just like kind of <laughs> scary. Is it the same yeah. with the, the microphone of your computer? I'm assuming that people can hack into that. Yeah, it's the same thing. You could turn on the microphone. You could turn on the webcam. Uh, if you have, if you still have a CD or a DVD drive, you can actually pop the drive in and out and annoy people that way. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of things you can do. You can make the mouse go crazy where it just starts jumping all over the screen like oh this. Gosh. Um, yeah, we, we do stuff like that in our classes, and it's, it's pretty fun uh, to show people the kind of things you can do. Um, but most hackers aren't going to do that. They're going to get in and, and be sneaky so they can capture as much data as possible. The best thing you got going for you though, Phil, is you're not a big target, right? You're a small guy. Um, you're not Bank of America. You're not Citibank, right? They're trying to go after those guys where the money is or going after Blue Cross and Blue Shield and get health records and social security numbers and birthdays. Um, and so for us as you know, small business owners, the chances of somebody going after you specifically is very slim. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's true too. So last question about this, just to recap, aside from updating, is there anything I should be worried about or should be doing with my computer to prevent these kinds of attacks? <laughs> so, um, the biggest thing that you can do is update because 99% of the attacks that come out there are from known vulnerabilities, which means it's something that Apple already knew is a problem. They've already released a patch and then a bad guy takes that patch, reverse engineers it, and figures out the way to break in. Mm -hmm. And so if you update, you're protected most of the time. Very rarely do we find things that, like where we call zero days, which is nobody even has a solution or knew it was out there. Um, that's very rare. Most of the time what happens, especially with Windows computers, is Microsoft releases its patches on Tuesdays. They call it Patch Tuesday. And by Wednesday or Thursday, the bad guys now have a way to break in because they've looked at it, they reverse engineered it, and figured out an exploit. Um, that's how most people get in. The, the one thing that Mac users don't do that they probably need to do is have virus protection. And it's not as much to protect your computer from viruses as protecting your friends that are running Windows. So like when you sent me a, a, a Word document, there could have been embedded malware in that. But by having a virus protection, if I was running Windows, when I read it, I'd be able to figure that out. Mm, interesting. Man, that's really interesting. And I can tell you really know your stuff. So I, your classes <laughs> seem really cool and interesting. I'm going to have to check them out. So my last question is just, do you have any other kind of final piece of advice for people who are starting out as an online teacher who see your story and they're like, wow, I want to make $13,000 in my first year. How do I, how do I get there? Yeah. So, um, I think the best thing is, you know, especially now with insights tab is figure out something that is, has a market, right? If you decide to make a class on underwater basket weaving, there might be five people in the world who care. Right. Uh, if you decide you want to make a course on how to get your ethical hacking certification, there's a lot more people who want that. Right. Uh, or how to use, you know, Premiere Pro or, or whatever the course is. Um, so I think finding a good topic that you're passionate about and that you enjoy because that comes across on the camera. Um, like I said, my ITIL course that was 10 hours long, it was very, very painful to record. When I went back and did it for three hours, it was a much better course because it was I now enjoy the topic a lot more. I'm much more familiar with it. Um, and I, I teach it a lot more interestingly. Um, the other thing is don't just be an empty voice over PowerPoint. Students connect with visuals. I mean, that, that's why I know people are listening to this on a podcast, but they can also see it on your YouTube channel. And if they go there, they'll see, you know, the way we interact and talk and mannerisms and that kind of stuff. And your students enjoy that stuff. It makes a personal connection. So get a webcam. Um, they're not that expensive. Like I said, I use the 930 from Logitech. I think I spent $60 on Amazon for it. And it gives you full 1080p you know, high definition video. It's, it's awesome. Um, and then get a great microphone because if they can't hear you, um, 
it, they don't care what you're doing, right? Uh, my first course, like I said, I'm still embarrassed over it. The only reason I haven't re-recorded it is because it is about eight or nine hours long, and the test is changing in January. So I'm not going to re-record the whole thing for six months worth of value, and the students are still getting value out of the course. But I recorded that with my blue microphone, teaching it live in a classroom, and so it, it, it didn't come across as as well as my new courses. Um, since then, I now use a lavalier mic. I use the Rode Smart Lav, and that thing is awesome. Again, it's like 60 bucks on Amazon. The thing is phenomenal. Uh, you don't have to go through blue, uh, blue screens or, gray sc- or green screens. You don't need all these lighting kits. There's a lot of ways to do it inexpensively. Uh, my home studio setup that we have now, I think I spent a total of about $250. That includes the microphone and the webcam, some lighting kits, and a can of green paint for the wall. Um, <laughs> and we have some acoustic tiles on the other side. Um, but for $250, we have a really nice little studio that we can make good quality videos in. Um, we didn't buy that up front. We bought that with the profits we got from Udemy. So reinvesting your business uh, as you're making some money, put it back into your courses. Um, you know, If you decide to go the marketing route, put it into your marketing. Uh, I've decided not to do that because it just hasn't worked out for us so far. I haven't cracked that nut yet. Uh, but as we do, we will start doing that as well. Cool. Well, I think that's perfect. And the green screen behind you looks awesome. For people listening, you can check it out over at the Online Course Masters blog at onlinecoursemasters.com. Uh, I'm totally impressed by that. So where's the best place for people to find more information about you? I'll include links to, to everything in the blog post. Uh, but where do you want people going from this show? So the best place to find us is uh, jasondion.com. Uh, that's our, our website. And then crammedtopass.com is our other website. Uh, you can find us at either of those. And then I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Jason Dion Training uh, on, on pretty much every platform out there. Awesome. Jason, well, this has been awesome meeting you and kind of person for the first time. <laughs> Thanks for being a fan of this show. And I'm so excited to just see where you know you go in the next few years. Your trajectory is looking really good. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to fast track your success, head over to onlinecoursemasters.com and sign up for your free trial of my flagship program, the Online Course Masters Masterclass. Yep, that's right. It's a masterclass designed to take you from zero to hero, creating and selling your very own online courses. If you haven't done so yet, please leave a review for this show wherever you listen. This is how we can help expand our audience and help teach the world. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week in the next edition of the Online Course Masters Show.